Welcome to the Founders for Good podcast, hosted by myself, Craig Turner. Join me as I speak to the most inspirational founders of four good startups, the people that are leading the way when it comes to solving the world's most pressing issues. I explore their journey as founders and their best kept secrets on how to grow a four good startup and how to hire top people. My hope is that this will inspire you to be part of the solution and do your bit in making the world a better place. Thanks for tuning in to the Founders for Good podcast. On this episode, I'm speaking to Matt Macri-Waller, founder and CEO of Benefex. Matt firmly believes that no one comes to work to do a bad job or be disengaged, and it's the role of the employer to look after their people and give them the best possible experience whilst at work. Matt has spent two decades in the employee wellbeing and HR tech space, and in that time he's founded, exited and invested in multiple businesses. So, we chat about everything, from Matt roping in his dad to helping him sell products in the early days of Benefex, to scaling an international business, to the evolving role of the employer, as employees continue to expect more and more from the companies they work for. So I always like to get into the background of the guests first. And it was funny because when I was looking into your, did a bit of research, looking into your kind of background, I couldn't see much before 2010. So it was like you winked into existence that year and you were suddenly an entrepreneur and founder of businesses. Um, so be, I'd be really intrigued. I'm sure the, the listeners would as well to hear just like where you started out and your, your pathway into becoming an entrepreneur. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I wish I came into existence in 2010, if I'm honest. But I think I'm a little bit, little bit older and greyer than that these days. But I think... Um, in terms of background, um, I, I was, I guess, really lucky growing up in that my um, my parents were both founders of various different businesses and have worked in various different things. And it was always like, it was always table conversation to us. It was never hidden from us. And that was real highs and you know, real lows, um, you know, bankruptcy and all those kind of things that we, you know, we were just, we just had it talked about openly. And so I kind of knew growing up, it was always that kind of, um, one, it was always like an itch I had to start something. And, and and it was always also, I had less of a fear of it, having seen them kind of just keep going through those highs and lows and know that, you know, actually, by and large, it was about the way you work to get to the outcome. So um, no, I definitely didn't just pop out in, in 2010. Actually, the first businesses, you know, for me, founded in, in 2003. Um, that feels like a very long time ago right now. But um, I was... Uh, yeah, 25. Um, so back then when you had no real, um, there wasn't any real kind of, there wasn't the kind of ro- startup role models that were kind of young at that point back in, back then, like you had no no Facebook, no Box, none of these people that um, now I think are, are, are great examples for people who are starting out new. But yeah, I think, you know, founded the first business in 2003 and since then have just, um, you know, worked on starting a lots of different things. Um but they mainly have been in and around um, people, technology, HR. Um, I've just got a love for a real love for organisations and people and how they work with them. And so, you know, but I have, you know, I've been involved in, gosh, um, what four four businesses I've run um, with varying degrees of success, um, and um, probably another, you know, twelve, thirteen, fourteen that I've invested in, um, and then probably another you know, similar number that I've kind of helped and mentored and those types of things. But yeah, it's been, uh, it's been a really interesting journey for me, but yeah, right. Starting back, starting out back then, lots of positives in the sense of really kind of super naive, didn't really know what was, you know, what, what, what good was and what bad was, and just was willing to work hard. Um, was lucky, as I said, to have that kind of background of having always talked about those types of things with, with family and the like, but yeah, just, uh, just started that business. And then, and then really for me was, um, just a really steep learning curve, really steep learning curve. And, you know, of those four businesses I've run, you know, one's had an okay outcome um, and was sold. Uh, two didn't have a great outcome and uh, didn't quite get across the line. And the one that I'm in now, which is Benefex, um, you know, is, is uh, growing nicely and, and uh, yeah, we're, we're rapidly kind of growing and internationalizing the business, but have been very focused on that kind of HR space of experiences around employee benefits, around well-being, um, around kind of culture and and the whole piece around kind of values, people, employee communications, those types of things. And I know you said it earlier, like that's the the space that attracts you. And I could see that trend when I looked at the businesses you'd been involved in, like I think Pairs back in 2009, then Benefex, and you're on the board of Salary Finance, which is like financial well-being. 
Um, you, you mentioned it briefly earlier, but what does really attract you to that space? Like, because I imagine by now you could you could work in a range of sectors, you could do anything within reason. Yeah, I mean, I think um, I. I've always loved the people aspect of it. I think that, you know, whether you're building phenomenal products or you're delivering services or whatever it might be, the people piece is the kind of core of all of that. And I think that, I think, you know, I've always believed there's probably a slightly different way than a lot of organizations have done things historically. And so I've really wanted to be part of how do you really bring some of that to life for more than just your own organization. So in, you know, in the businesses I've run, I've always tried to be, really transparent, really open, you know, sharing all the good and bad and otherwise with people, you know, being really clear about why we're making certain decisions, kind of over-communicate and create a, a culture that some people might say feels like a family, but that, you know, that sounds a little bit too, uh, I guess, too colloquial in that sense. But I think for me, it has that feeling of, of trust and that transparency and that we're all in this together and trying to kind of get to somewhere. Um, and I think, I wanted that feeling to be in more organizations than just the one I was running. And so that felt like the way I could have the greatest impact on the greatest number of people was to really start to try and be able to, to do these things for more and more and more organizations because you know, those organizations have a huge influence over a number of people. And I think definitely over the last 10 years, if you look at things like the Edelman Trust Barometer and stuff like that, organizational trust is one of the rare things that's been on the increase whilst you've seen trust in government, trust in big business more generally, and those types of things really on the decline. People's trust of their organizations has has really been on the rise. And so you know, for me, what attracts me is I, I just really want to help as many people as possible. And I think the way you do that is you know, to really help these organizations create great places to be, you know, a place you really want to work, a place that where kind of culture kind of breathes and people feel like they can belong. Agreed. And then to talk about Benefix and kind of set the scene a little bit. So if we go back to kind of like 2010, what was the state of like HR tech and employee well-being back then? And my second question with that is, um, what, like, why did you feel you could offer something different to the market with Benefix? Good question. Yeah, I think back then, I mean... <laughs> There wasn't a lot of kind of great to use HR technology back then. It was kind of you got given what you got given <laughs> and it worked the way it worked. And as a an employee and a consumer of that, you know, we were all starting back then to kind of adjust to, you know, iPhone was four years old. We were all used to using really simple to use applications and simple to use products. But the workplace really hadn't thought about employees' experiences in that kind of way. Like there'd been a lot of focus on customer experiences, but not a lot on employees. And so you had this real kind of this really disjointed and disconnected experience by and large in most organizations where you, you talk to the people and, you know, no one comes to work to do a bad job you know, by and large, and no one comes to work to be like actively disengaged. And yet the organization is often struggling with, how do I connect those two ends together of a person who wants to be here and wants to buy in and wants to be kind of really engaged and what we're trying to do over here, which sometimes they can feel a bit like kind of ships that pass in the night. And so we saw a real opportunity, not just to change that experience in the kind of sense of, of what people were doing and the products and, and, and what they were kind of going through, but also just in terms of, you know, that, that piece about, how you actually bring those two ends together and, and use technology to actually enable that connection to happen more. Because I think, well, you know, most of the people I talk to have been in that situation at some time or other where like, all the cogs click together, right? You feel like you've been recognized, you're doing something great in terms of the work, you're somewhere where you just align totally with the mission. And when all those cogs are going, you, know, you get loads out of that. And, and so does ultimately does the organization. And so when we were looking at launching, I think we just felt like there was a huge amount of untapped value. And, um, you know, certainly in benefits, it was kind of like 26% of payroll was spent on this benefit stuff. But it kind of did, wasn't really doing what people wanted it to do, right? Because we wrote, we wrote a brilliant, well, I didn't write it, but the team wrote a brilliant article early on where it was kind of benefits a very white middle class and male. And it was that kind of idea that actually organizations are nothing like that yet we had these programs where it was like okay well you get a pension you get some healthcare, you get this you get that and yet working patterns had changed locations had changed you know in progressive organizations remote was starting to kind of come into to more and more of those conversations and so 
we just saw a huge opportunity to kind of completely flip around the way organizations were spending that money and just put it in the right places that was right for the individuals. And so that was kind of a big focus for us. And, and back then, you know, well-being wasn't really a talked about thing. It was, um, you know, we've got an employee assistance program, please go call them and don't talk to me about it again. Whereas actually, you know, we've seen a massive change, massive change. I mean, in particular in the last five years and definitely in the last two, but even over that 10 years, you know, we've seen a huge shift in people realizing that actually um, work can take a toll on people and that that toll kind of ebbs and flows and stuff can happen to you inside of work and outside of work that creates these stressor effects. And actually a good person doesn't become a bad person because of those things, but they may have an issue because of those things. And so it's about working with and helping people through that, you know, helping that person to feel resilient in those moments because we will all have them in our lives. You know, every single one of us will have one of those moments. And interestingly, our data is showing that actually some of the most engaged people in those organizations are often the ones that would experience more peaks and troughs in terms of their mental health or in their in terms of their physical well-being. And that's because they're doing something they love, they're really engaged with it, they want to do their best. But that can sometimes come at the kind of compromise of of not being quite aware of what that might be doing to you in terms of you know needing to have those breaks, needing to really give your mind a rest. You know, we were talking about it in the intro, you know, going on holiday, you know, doing that switch off stuff of where you actually can can really take a proper break. And so yeah, I think that was that was the key for us. We just saw this huge opportunity of all this money going into to really trying to trying to look after and offer employees things they wanted, but it just missing the mark more often than not. And so that's that's really the mission we've been on is is just changing that story. And, and where did you start out in terms of like team? Was it just yourself? Did you happen to have a few people starting with you? And was it like bootstrapped, or did you manage to get some funding quite early on, which allowed you some time to validate this hypothesis of yours? Yeah, so um, we bootstrapped initially, um, and uh, I was really lucky in that I found you know, there's some very talented people who they weren't founders per se, but I, I, I always think of them as founders because they certainly were very early on in the in in, in the journey. Um, and I, I, I was in this really weird situation where young founder, um, you know, trying to kind of pitch to these boards and these exec teams, and like I said, there was no real kind of role models of that. And, and, and people just thought, well, who's, who's this guy to come and tell us like how to think about our people and those kind of things. And so what I, what I worked out was um, early on was actually, well, what about if I had a bit of um, gray hair and gravitas I could bring along? And so my, my father had retired at that point, but I managed to persuade him that like one day a month he could come along and we'd kind of we'd do those meetings on that day, right? Where it's kind of these big pitches and, um, he'd do the opening and the closing and I'd do all the kind of piece in the middle and all the detail about how we were going to do it. Um, and uh, I, w- <laughs> I always joke to him that he was just cheap labor, but he, uh, he, he was great in that sense of, of actually breaking down some of those biases and barriers that we definitely saw um, at that time and in, in, in all sections of the market of being a young founder back then was, a, I think, a, a lot different than it is now. And... Um, I think there was a lot less willingness to listen to to what to certainly what I had to say, um, but I think yeah he it, it, what what was interesting is one one day a month become one day a week became actually full time and it was kind of this weird reverse thing where I employed my dad um, and he joined and I was really lucky really because between the founding team and him um, there kind of was this trust where we could just really openly challenge each other and you all know that you're going to leave the room still friends because you're focusing kind of hard on the issues and not on the people and i think that is one of the things that's just stayed with me throughout in terms of how we run everything now is is we're always hard on an issue if there's a problem or a challenge we want to make sure we solve it something's gone wrong we need to make it better whatever it is but at the same time you know for me there's definitely a you just you can't make that a personal thing to that individual because it becomes very no don't i mean like be passionate about it because we are all passionate about it right if you believe in something you, you're going to deliver it with passion but it doesn't need to get to be you know an attack on an individual even if someone's completely messed up it's not about them it's about what happened that got us to that point that we can now change <clears throat> nice and um 
I, I, I've known you for years. I didn't actually know that you, you'd had your, your dad involved in the business earlier. That's incredible. So to your point before that, we talk about kind of like the needs of the employee are constantly evolving. And that's, you know, for a range of factors, I guess, like COVID is a good example of something completely out of everyone's control, but that completely changed how the employee needs to be looked after. There's things like how competitive it is right now to hire talent. And obviously companies have to do more and more to attract and keep their people. Um, my understanding is that Benefex started off primarily looking at the benefits space and then it's evolved. So I just wondered like over the last 12, 13 years, how the product set has evolved from that initial benefits offering to where it is now. You know, we, we definitely did start in on that benefits piece because, um, you know, it was, it was a big area of, of spend in organizations. And as I said, a minute ago, it was one where we just found it was a, there was a huge amount missing in terms of, of it just not hitting the mark and it just not being the organization wanted to offer more to people and more choice and more flexibility. And the individuals wanted that, but they couldn't really get to a mechanism that enabled that. So we started on that basis with benefits. It's still stay, it's the core still of, of part of what we do. Um, uh, you know, we do that for a number of organizations. But what was really interesting is those customers were coming to us and saying they had a number of other challenges. So they had been given, for example, you know, the need to bring culture to life in their organizations, the need to communicate the positioning on ESG or um, you know, diversity or whatever it might be. And so culture became a big part of what they were asking us to, to work with them on. And that was both communicating that and giving those kind of things at home. And then alongside that, the biggest area was then this whole kind of piece around well-being and and. You know, well-being is a busy market. There's lots going on in there. And um, yeah, we've spent a lot of time working with customers on really the things that are going to be high impact to their people. What are the things that really, you know, really help someone who is, you know, at that moment pushing the big red button and just needs help? Whatever that might be. It might be, you know, in finances. It might be from a mental health perspective. It might be from, um, you know, a physical perspective and and you know, definitely that's, we see that growing and growing and growing in terms of, 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 I think really helpfully, and I don't know if you're seeing this, but definitely really helpfully, it's the, the conversation surfacing in the organization much earlier. Everyone's getting more comfortable with that. And, you know, I think that organizations are investing much more in that today than we've ever seen them before. And if, um, just to give an idea, I guess, for some of our next questions, in terms of the scale of benefits now, could you give a snapshot in terms of like size of the organization, where you are with kind of funding status at the moment, global operation, et cetera? Yeah, sure. No problem at all. Um, so we're, we're 500 people. Um, we're um, just over $55 million in recurring revenue. Uh, we have um, our HQ still here in the UK, uh, but we now have offices in Dublin, in uh, Chicago in the US, in Australia, and in Rotswaf in Poland. So we're definitely on that kind of, uh, <laughs> I hate the word journey, but we're definitely on a journey to kind of really globalize the business. So we're live now in, in 70 countries. Um, we, you know, our platform can really be used anywhere. Um, but uh, the, the interesting thing for us is we have a kind of regional delivery model. So we have kind of America's EMEA and kind of APAC, and that's kind of how we structured the business today. Nice. And I guess going from, you know, small bootstrap startup, getting your dad involved to do the sales pitches with you to a truly global organization. When you look back, what have been the biggest challenges along the way? And have they been like people, products, sales? Yeah, I'm conscious that I didn't dig into the funding question you asked earlier. So I think just what was really interesting is we definitely got to a point where in 2011 we realized to really deliver the ambition it was one of those moments we did like a you know you you sit and do the strategy day and like what are all the great ideas to take this business forward and you're like okay we've got these 50 things let's make it 10 and we were like these 10 are going to be amazing we really need to focus on them and we're like okay we've got the cash to do one and a half maybe and so we suddenly realized actually if we were going to if we were going to fulfill the potential that was there, we probably needed to take on some external capital to do that. Um, and, that and that's not a decision for everyone, right? I, I've been in businesses where, and I've certainly mentored people where they want to stay, you know, their focus is growing their business that they own 100% of. Um, there's others that I've, I've worked with that are kind of venture-backed and very focused on scaling quickly. Um, 
but for us i think that was an interesting inflection point like and it made us uh, end of december 2011 uh, in benefex we actually raised um we were the first investment for business growth fund um so we took 4.2 million pounds um, from business growth fund to really scale the business and take it to the next stage um business growth fund they're a long-term patient investor is their kind of slogan and you know they were they were true to that in the sense that um, they focused and stayed with us till 2018. Um, and so in 2018, they exited and were replaced by um, Bain Capital, who've been uh, a great supporter of the business and have really helped us with that international um, stories. I, I think in terms of so kind of funding was was kind of obviously at different inflection points. I think the other one, you know, I don't want to sound too trite here but but finding the right people is is definitely been been one of the biggest pieces for us it was a point at which we went from kind of 40 people you know we hired like 100 people in a year and um we made many many mistakes and i definitely would say we made those mistakes not the people who joined us one of the biggest ones for us was we we um we were hiring quickly for skills forgetting about the fit of that person in the team or the fit of that person in in the business and and their belief in the mission was one of the biggest things that we we kind of and you know we probably ended up maybe churning out half of those people because you know i believe to do something really well you know you really need to believe in what you're trying to do and and really believe that you can actually impact for us you know we want to impact people's every single day we want to make it you're better. We want to make it more positive. We want to put them in more control. If you don't really, if that doesn't get you up in the morning, then you know we we've done something wrong in in encouraging you to join us, right? And and that's definitely we, we definitely learned that along the way. Um, I think the other big one I kind of touched on before, but it's what I always talk about as a kind of my kind of like Goldilocks moment where you have to. I've learned over the years you have to take a step back and look a little bit more objectively at your team and at the business as a whole and work out like you know who's the business too small for you know who's the business too big for and who's just about right and i think it's really interesting as we scaled everyone could tell you like you know this is the number of people we've got to hire this is what the teams are going into but what we definitely forgot early on was there's a chunk of those people that are going from being generalists doing lots of things for us to need to be specialists as the business grows and lots of those people don't want to make that transition or won't make that transition. And so we were completely forgetting that, okay, we've got these 200 people here. We're going to add these 50 over here. Everyone could quote you the 50, but no one was really thinking about how many of these 200 wanted to carry on to that next piece of scale, that next part of that journey. Um, and that's now a conversation we just have very openly with the people as well, because I think it's really important. Like we're, we, again, early on one of the mistakes we made was everyone you need you'd be sitting and back in the days when we were in offices but you'd be sitting there next to someone and be like oh yeah you're i'm gonna be here forever you're gonna be here forever <laughs> yeah i'm definitely gonna be here forever and you're like that's never gonna be the case right and so right now we just surface that we understand like what is the job you want to do when you're when you next what's your next role and that might be like you you kind of you know you 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 do that with us and there's a progression and advancement for you or that might be we're just really open about the fact that you know we've had people who say like I really want to be a dancer and I'm here doing this role. I love it. I love what we're doing, but I'm trying to get my shot at doing X. And and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And I think there's nothing wrong with the conversation being really open. And so people would be a big one. And then I think um, knowing, I think when, <laughs> knowing when the right time to have some of those more challenges. So certainly as a founder, one of the more, more challenging things was knowing the right time to have those conversations with people about, um, whether they were going to continue to progress or whether they were happy where they were. And I think early on, I probably, again, hold my hands up and say, I didn't have those conversations early enough um, with some people. And it just got really difficult for them. And I think that that was um, definitely something that when I look back on it now, it's um, you know, having those conversations as early as possible um, enables more people, I think, to actually make the journey with you um, than kind of have these moments where, they, they, as I said earlier, kind of struggle on through and try and get to the other side. But um, yeah, there are there are a few other things that keep me up at night, Craig. But they're mainly <laughs> animals and children. So. <laughs> <laughs>
if you're listening and thinking, I'd love to work for a company like this, then you need to go to www.jobsforgood.io where they have the best jobs in four good companies. From climate change to social impact to green transport, you'll be able to find the perfect job for you. Trust me. Check it out, www.jobsforgood.io. Now back to the podcast. And I mean, but those are three great points. But I think the second one, especially when I think of the startup founders that we work with, the thing that always seems to have like a laser focus is hiring and we need this many roles and this headcount, we've got this budget. But the thing that always is forgotten is like natural attrition or just people that either don't work out or they leave for like unforeseen circumstances and they're always shocked and it's just impossible to keep all of your people 100% retention forever. It's going to happen. So actually understanding that that's something you need to also forecast into hiring is super important. I know that in the last 18 months that Benefex have made a couple of acquisitions and you're one of the few companies that, that we work with where um, you've got to the stage where you're starting to grow through acquisition. Um, so I, well, one, I wonder just how those acquisition opportunities come across, um, like how you find them. And then secondly, the question is more about like once you find them and, and the deal is done, like how you go about integrating them into your business so that they you know, know what the Benefex way is, they become Benefexers. So two two acquisitions in a pandemic is unique. Um, I think uh, you know the fact that we were we were signing one of them right in the middle of the first, um, or I think it was the second lockdown, um, was was interesting. But in terms of how we came across them, one was um, a business that was exiting our market who had a phenomenal set of customers that needed a really good home, and so um, they were kind of divesting of the kind of. Uh, what was an SME business and then a kind of um, an enterprise focused business with with kind of roughly 70 odd customers in it. And we looked at that business and it just felt like if you took the customers and laid them into our business, it was a great fit. And they had really talented people that just would help us again, kick on from a scale perspective in terms of actually you're suddenly hiring kind of a hundred plus people into the business um, uh, uh, through that. And so that was one where, you know, we were um, probably a bit more opportunistic in terms of how we kind of pursued it. Um, it was interesting and in that it was a, because it was a part of a business unit that they were divesting, it didn't actually have any leaders in it. So it was kind of a, it was a bit strange in the sense of it didn't have a, CEO or a founder or any of those kind of things, which probably helped that integration um, and probably helped um, give, making those people, I think, feel like they had a bit more of a home. Um, I'll just I'll cover off the second one and then I'll go through kind of like how we brought them in. The second one was very different. So founder-led business, a business called Work It, run by a guy called Peter Jenkinson and a, and a really great team in Dublin. Um, Peter and the team um, very, very much still actively involved now that they're part of Benefex. And what's been really interesting with that is it's a completely different way of thinking about it. What was exciting for us was they had a great product in a few specific areas that we had no real representation, but was something our customers were asking us about. So uh, discounts. So how do you make your money go further for people, particularly in you know, current times, I guess is one of the biggest things we keep getting asked about. The second one was um, they've got a really great well-being product. So whilst we've been doing a whole bunch of things around well-being, the, the kind of clinically proven product they had, we felt like was a great fit for us. Um, and then the third one was this kind of area around learning that they've done a whole bunch of um, a work on to really help people kind of learn and develop, not in the formalized sense of like a learning management system, but in the sense of aggregation of all of this kind of learning content um, into their platform. And so... It's been a very, very different, um, you know, we, we'd been a partner of theirs for a few years. That had been really successful. Um, the cultures were quite aligned. And we um, yeah, we just started the conversation and said, what could this look like? And yeah, we ended up with, um, with them joining the business in, in January this year. And so I think, you know, one, you've got a kind of, we, we bought a great set of people, a great set of customers. And one, we bought a great product and a great team. I guess the, the unifying bit is the people. The, the bit we did to bring them in is we, we focused really hard on what that onboarding piece feels like. And so, you know, you've got your equipment, the team are available. So our employee technology team are phenomenal. We're making sure everyone's up, ready, trained. They have that complete access to them in terms of that enablement of the technology that they're using. We were really clear on what we were doing and not doing. So just really over communicated. And I always say to any member of 
our exec team, you know, you're going to spend roughly a fifth of your job just communicating. And if you're not comfortable with that, again, it's probably not the right type of organization for you. But so for, you know, work it, we, you know, we did, we announced everything the first day. Um, we did a kind of ask us anything session with the, the whole of that business. Um, you know, it was a bit of a smaller business. So it's kind of only 35 odd people, but, you know, we did a full kind of, a, kind of ask us anything. We took them through why, what we loved about the business and what we were really looking to do. We gave them a really clear plan of how they were going to get onboarded into Benefex and what that looked like for them as individuals. Um, and now we're in that stage of really talking about the kind of wider opportunities for them as we really kind of grow and scale. The other part, the other business we acquired was kind of, you know, 100 odd people and, it was really about we were all going to be focused on having to move the customers from the platform they were on and onto ours and so this real kind of mission kind of evolved around that of yes we brought them in we really want to make them feel like us so we take them through our standard onboarding we take them through all of the stuff we do around culture and what it's like to work for us um, but they were then really unified in actually we've got to move them from a to b um, and then really grow with those customers but i don't know if that answers the question but hopefully yeah, it does <laughs> It does. Um, and then I'm going to ask you to get your, your little crystal ball out. And um, if in terms of the future of employee well-being, where, where do you think it's going to go in the next three, five years or however far out you think you can see? Mm. Yeah, I think um, for me, that well-being market is starting to to polarize. And I think what's interesting is on one side of it, you have solutions that are going very deep in one vertical. So uh, someone like Unmind would be a good example of that, okay, in the kind of mental health space. Um, someone like Nudge and kind of financial well-being. And so you think you kind of have these very deeply vertically focused kind of we're going to really work to solve one piece of this kind of well-being puzzle. On the other side, I think the, the way the market's polarizing is you have this kind of growing collection of businesses that are kind of taking a, an offline experience and making it digital. So think... Um, like Babylon, um, so you kind of doctor appointments or think, um, you know, coaching or you know, ginger.io, if you've ever seen them as a good example of that, kind of like mental health and kind of access to kind of whether it's a therapist or a coach or whatever it might be. And so you have this kind of market where you've got very vertically focused players and then you've got these people who are taking offline experiences and making them much more accessible. I think what you have in the middle of it is quite a confused customer and that's not me being in any way derogatory to customers our customers are amazing they've got so much insight but i think what's happening is all of these things look like there's huge amounts of overlap and so they're kind of left with like where do i spend my dollars pounds euros whatever it might be where do i put that investment to really drive that change and i think what you'll see is you'll see this need and drive to create something that really sits across all of these things and really helps navigate a person as an individual employee to where they might need that help, not leaving them to work out, oh, okay, well, I, I need to go here because that's about mental health or I need to go here because that's about whatever. It will really be about helping those people, um, you know, right, as I said, from kind of like push the red button, please help me and give me access to all of these things to, you know, a specific, okay, I've got a particular problem about finance that I need specific help on. And so I think you'll see this rise, I think, of this real kind of hyper-personalized kind of view of of well-being. And I think it's going to have to pay attention to the fact that part of my well-being story is not in work tools, right? So it's in, you know, I'm on Strava or Nike Plus or I'm in, you know, whatever kind of health app or food app or mindfulness app or whatever it is that I might be using. And part of it might be in work. And I think that there's going to be this tension between those two spaces. But I still think there's a way for those to come together for people. Um, and maybe I think you'll find the market will focus in on areas where your employer may be the right answer for some of those things. Like, you know, I think when it comes to exercise and fitness are we ever going to do better than some of those tools that are kind of in the consumer space probably not but actually i think in in the workplace mental health is a huge area we can help people your money and your finances is a huge area we can help people and i think where organizations feel like they have a bit of a right to play whereas as you start to step into like food and exercise and how you're living your kind of wider bigger life 
it starts to get a little bit more difficult for the employer to be like, oh, I, sh- I should be advising Craig what to do in this space because that's a good idea. Um, you know, so I think I think um, I definitely see more of that. You know, and you, you go further and further out, I think you'll just see more automation, inevitably more machines helping us to do different things. I think you'll see more and more um, control be put onto individuals. So diagnostic tools, um, there's some phenomenal stuff coming out right now around DNA, blood sampling, CRISPR, and putting you really in control of your health. And I think that will definitely be something that employers will need to pay attention to because actually I want to go get you know, uh, a CCAT scan that tells me what's happening in terms of my overall heart health or you know i want to have a monthly blood test because you know my levels of x or y are out or um you know that um i think i think you starts to get into some really interesting territory for employers and and some difficult ones about um you know what what gets funded and what you, you give access to people people to or not but you know i definitely think the whole the whole piece around what genetically we understand how that really helps people to manage you know, later life, older life, you know, impacts to hormone level, you know, all those things have become a key part of, again, someone's performance. And so I think an employer, you'll end up with, you're able through your employer to understand that physical part of your health, the kind of genetic part of your health, um, and what you can do to impact that as well as kind of mental and physical. And I think machines will inevitably play more and more of a part in tracking, diagnosing, helping, nudging, cajoling. Um, and just alerting very interesting and um, most of the listeners will be more in the kind of like startup SME segment Um, so I want to ask if if you had advice for them in terms of like the best benefits they could offer to one help attract good people to the business but also keep them what would be like the top three or five benefits for a smaller business to offer to people like early on right cash is always super 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 tight and and you know i'm i'm aware of that as much as anyone you know depending on your funding situation might therefore depend on how you think about the answer to that question for me the top ones i would always focus on are, you know, always think about what's right for your people um and you really think about how you can personalize it to them because at that size and scale you know till we were about 50 we were able to do a lot of things that were very specific to even down to an individual level or a group level but I would say invest in recognizing people, however you do that. I think it's one of the biggest things that gives you a massive return and thank them, thank them publicly. Um, and you know, if you can give them a small token that means something to them, I've found that that's much more beneficial than giving them, you know, 50 pounds on a gift card. Um, you know, people remember that we sent them on an experience or we gave them a huge magnum of champagne far, far into the future, but you know, after they've spent their, 40 pound amazon voucher or whatever it might be so so recognize and, and really think about recognition i think alongside that think about what you could do around time off that makes sense for people so is that well-being days is that um time off to do specific things is that flexibility you've got some some people i work with where in the summer they do like a four-day week and in the rest of the year they work a five-day week you know there's all sorts of things that i've seen people do but think about time as a really precious commodity for you and for them as well as part of that um you know i've seen some of our customers do great things like you know if you're five years with us you get a month off or six months off or whatever it might be because it's going to be hard work and you get to recharge you might not be five years it might be one year it might be two years whatever but think about time because i think it's a huge thing for people and then if you are going to spend money i think just yeah focusing on what your people are really going to appreciate and so you know, we, I've got kind of organizations that I'm working with that are, you know, a, a sub 20 people and, and they're focusing on things like, okay, we want to give people preloaded cards that mean they can go and do different things themselves and we'll give them access to a range of those experiences. I've got ones where people are focused in on actually you know, the demographic that they have in their workforce that they've told them the number one thing they all want is healthcare. And that's maybe because you look at their team and you know, they uh, all have kids and, you know, there's just a slight, it's a kind of, you know, it depends somewhat on the business you're trying to build. And, you know, the fourth one I'd add is if you can ever do anything with your own product or with any of the partners you work with or anything else, we got a lot of leverage as a benefits business because the people who wanted to work with us to work with our customers were willing to work and give us things as well. Now that doesn't work in every business. I completely get that. 
but but don't be afraid to ask your key partners, no matter how small you are, that we really want to give this thing to all of our people and see what they say. Um, and the last thing I would add is it's really low cost these days to give people access to discounts you may not be able to get elsewhere. And when we're all struggling to meet bills, you know, I just really think about that because, you know, I think of our, you know, our discount product on average is about, call it eight pounds a year. But if you use it, and I just mean use it to just normally shop, you know, you'll save 400 pounds more um, just by doing your day-to-day things through there. And, and I think, you know, in this moment when, you know, what was it, 10% inflation in the paper this morning? You know, I think um, we all need a little bit of that. 100%. To talk a little bit about your personal journey as a founder, um, you're a solo founder, to my knowledge anyway. Um, yeah, that's right. How do you cope with the tough times? Like when things aren't going well, you're up against it. Who are you going to or what do you do to like cope in those those times? Yeah, I think um, <laughs> a bit like a lot of founders, um, I wouldn't say it's uh, it's always easy to do that. And certainly early on for me, there was a lot of um, toughing it out, probably detrimentally but i've been really lucky in that um i've always had you know i've been in um my wife's been phenomenal for me so you know she um and i always talk and debate and and listen she she runs her own business as well so it's in that sense we're kind of sharing stories um uh positives and and negatives so so i've been really lucky in that respect um i was was really lucky with my father as well because he had been in and around various different things and so having him on board um, was helpful for me. And then I think early on, I realized actually you could build quite an interesting network just by meeting other founders. And whether you love that kind of stuff or you don't love that kind of stuff, actually they're in the same boat as you. And weirdly, I actually <laughs> I actually found some of the most supportive founders I ever sat and talked with were competitors and we sat and had a chat and just, you know, and everyone says their business is going amazing. That's just like decorum. That's how you start the conversation. But once you get past that and over years, you know, you'll find some of them will exit, some of them will do different things. And, you know, actually you can, you build up relationships that, that mean you can, you know, to some extent you can at least feel like someone else is in that same boat. And so, you know, meet with, meet with customers and the people who founded them, find a network yeah, talk to people like you, Craig, who work with lots of other founders to see if there's anyone you can you know, expand your network with. And I know it's really uncomfortable for a lot of people and we all feel like we're kind of super busy, but I think it's just one of the best things. If you can get a mentor, great. If you can't, just just talk to some other founders because I promise you they're going through what you're going through. Um, and it might be a different flavor of that. They might be at a slightly different stage, but I got loads of comfort when it was really difficult at times in in just having having it almost just hearing someone else was having a challenge like it's the one bit that I feel like never gets talked about enough right I um I love uh that book the hard thing about hard things by Ben Horowitz because it's just honest and you read so many of these books that are about businesses and founding them and they're always the big stories right like you know, founding a Facebook and founding it like these businesses you've heard of. But I just feel like they're disingenuous at times about how hard it is and how lonely it is. And, you know, I've just found that I've always found that if anyone says to me, I think it is founding something, I give them that book first and I say, have a read of this and we'll, you know, we'll talk in, you know, a day, a week, a month, whenever you finished it. Because I think it just gives you a sense of you'll have those kind of gut wrenching days, right? You'll have days when you can't meet payroll you'll have days when your biggest customers just left you'll have days when the partner who you thought was the kind of you know great hope for the future of how you're going to build this business has just decided to set up that themselves and you know i just think i'd love to see more honesty in in all in kind of founders and ceos and others right but it's kind of there's still a little bit of can't show this weakness we can't talk about these things and some of what i'm enjoying more at the moment is more and more CEOs, founders, and particularly in larger businesses, are starting to be very open about some of the challenges they have or are having in their personal lives. But I still think it's a little bit unspoken in a lot of ways. But I think there's there's a you know founder burnout is real. Um, I've seen it. I've seen the worst sides of it, um, and I've seen a huge impact it can have on the lives of, of family members that get left behind for some of those really extreme cases. And I think. You know, just yeah. I, 
I think if there just were more resources and people were a bit more open, I think that'd be really healthy. Um, it's a hard thing. It's a hard path to choose. It's a great path to choose. Um, and you know, if you're right in the middle of it, though, I can promise you other people have been through it and are going through it. And you know, the more of those you can talk to, or even if you've got one you can talk to, I just, it always made me feel better that actually like, okay, there's some light at the end of the tunnel. I totally agree. Um, and then moving on to the final section, talk a little bit about hiring, which you've touched on actually quite a bit already. So I'm going to cherry pick some questions. Um, being a business that's, that's reached 500 people, um, what, what if you had to pick one factor that's made that a real success, which maybe like getting the right leadership team in place, the right structure, just really focused on like culture, fit, value fit, what, what would you say is one core ingredient to really get into that kind of size business and doing it well? I think it would be people bought into the mission and as a byproduct of that, the culture. You know, I think I always think of culture as like the the values, but actually more importantly, the behaviors people exhibit. Because, you know, at the end of the day, your culture will be the lowest behavior you're willing to accept from any person in the business, right? Because everyone kind of, you know, sees that and kind of gravitates to it. But But for me, it was always by hiring people who were bought into really what we were trying to do and as a byproduct got bought into the culture, they just, that kind of just rippled out. And when we got the first 10 people right, they hired great people from there. And we, we made a bit of a slip up, as you heard me say, um, as we went to try and hire faster. But if you get those people right, and as I said, they're really bought into that, then that really worked. I think one one kind of adjunct to that I'd add is just, I would say, kind of writing down some of the things that are important to you you'll be amazed how much that scales in terms of writing down values or behaviors or the way you want this business to be, or even just like, this is the mission we're on. Here's how it comes to life. You know, it's, it's not there as a kind of stick to beat people with. It's there as a, when you're not in the room, which you won't be able to be as you grow in scale. And, you know, as people join, they want to understand what it means to be part of the business, what it means to be part of the organization. So um, yeah, that, that to me is, is is probably the biggest one. Great point. And um, finally, when it comes to comes to hiring, like everyone has different opinions or aren't sure in terms of like when do you outsource, when do you invest in your own talent function? Um, as you get bigger and bigger, the costs mount up more and more. What what's been like the benefits approach to to hiring in terms of like direct hiring efforts versus using like partners? Yeah, I, um, we have always had and continue to have a, a real mix. And I think for me, it always boils down to um, specialist. Um, we have some very specialist roles. Um, and I would count product and engineering in that. I would count some of our consultants in that. Um, I would count some of our kind of you know, global teams in that. Um, you know, very, very specialist roles who build brilliant relationships typically with not us as an organization. Initially, they build them with a recruiter, an organization. And so, you know, we very much use third parties in that sense. Um, and we're never afraid to use a third party. I think that's the key thing is like some of this kind of binary, oh, it's all in-house or it's all out is, I think is wrong. I think it's about what is the role? What is it we're trying to do? Have we done it before? Do we really know what we're looking for? Because that's a big part of it, right? Sometimes you don't quite know. <laughs> you know, I know you and I have had a few conversations around a few of those. Like, don't, we don't quite know what we're looking for. Um, we think it's like this. But what you find is you, know, you run a search well with someone externally and you really kind of can solidify that with them and suddenly you get this great outcome. You know, and so I think I, I, I'm not a person who's kind of binary on like, okay, well, yeah, once you're over 50 or once you're over X, you must have it in-house. I think it's it's about, you know, continue to keep that in review. And, um, you know, I, as much as anything, yeah, I, I will make a shameless plug because, you know, if I look at you and the relationship we have, you know, I think, you know, we have, I, 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 can't, I cannot fault it in the sense of how we've worked. And the bit I've loved is where we have the best partners is, because they tell us when we're wrong <laughs> and they tell us when something's not quite working and they tell us when actually like like this doesn't feel right or this doesn't feel aligned and at the same time it's a you can pick the phone up and say like we're thinking of this in this market these type of people are we mad what does it feel like how does that shape what might it cost and you suddenly you get all this information that if you're just hiring in-house 
you just don't quite get that kind of that kind of context. And so, you know, I've said it to you before, but you know, I think we do we we've, we hold up our relationship with you as as a real kind of shining light of how how good we think it can be when you work that well. But you know, that's you invest in the relationships on that basis, right? And so, I think. Um, you know, I, I would I would definitely say kudos to you on that one. Oh, thank you very much. Um, and, and come back to your your like answer. I, I think from my point of view, like the main thing is like just looking at efficiencies. Like you try and hire the best generalist talent people to come work internally that can cover as many roles as possible, but never have the expectation they can do absolutely everything. And when it comes to the point where like could you, you know could that internal person take on a really specialist software developer role, but it may take them six months to fill it, or do you invest in a recruiter that maybe to help you fill that in? 25% of that time, you just need to weigh up those things um, and just be sensible about them. I think it's also, it's also that it's the, pool, it's the pool of talent, Craig, for me, it's also just that pool of talent that I, I think is, uh, if I look at it for us, the difference between finding someone who is 20% better at that role or in terms of, of their skill set they can bring to bear probably has a 70% better outcome once they're with us and that's that's kind of the, the, the weird thing people can't quite get is like like we we definitely look at it and think actually not only could we get access faster to this pool but actually if we can get someone who's better better fit better skill set whatever it might be actually it's those small margins and sometimes you know it can be a person who's 10 percent better will actually have a 90 percent better outcome for us because actually their impact their knowledge, their ability to do that. And, and that's where I think it's not like, I know people always talk about A and B players. I, I don't quite like the terminology. For me, I think it's a, when you get someone who's right and can really take that role forwards and is an immense talent, the outcome is just so different. And, and I think often when we get the partners right when we're working externally, that's what they bring as well, is actually it's not just faster, it's not just, more access to more talent it's that small delta that appears like oh this person's incrementally a little bit better actually has a huge delta when you get to see their output and the outcomes they deliver and that that bit is a bit we definitely see that's an excellent point and to kind of wrap things up if someone's listening to this thinking i'd, I'd love to work for benefex um whenever you are hiring like where's best for them to go who's best for them at benefex to reach out to just go to the website say hello benefex.com um, we're definitely hiring i think we have uh, in the current plan something like uh 80 or 90 roles this year um and you know i'm sure with the way the environment is and with some of the opportunities our people are pursuing there'll be other roles available in the business as well because as i said we keep that dialogue open with people about what they might be trying to do next but yeah um definitely either come directly to the website we'd love to hear from you we'd love to chat to our people team incredible nice well matt thanks for talking to us today really appreciate it thanks for listening to today's episode if you've enjoyed it please subscribe share this episode and leave us a review we're just getting started out so it would mean a lot to us this episode was brought to you by Craig Turner, produced by Jabril Al-Sahimi and sponsored by Jobs for Good. Until next time.